This today is the conclusion, number four, in our series called Abundant uh, on the book of Ruth. We're, we've been gleaning uh, biblical principles, kingdom principles particularly from the book of Ruth, where we've been able to look backward into an old covenant uh, area of scripture and actually see new covenant concepts. We're going to talk about that a little bit this morning. I'd like if you would to go ahead and stand back up one more time. Uh, and as you're standing, we're going to, the title of the message today is called The Reward of Faith. Everybody say The Reward of Faith. And before I jump into our text, I just want to say thank you, Brother Felipe. That was a beautiful expression of the Lord's table. Um, we, we, we're just so grateful to be able to see the, the flavor uh, in the body of Christ because the Bible says that when we are around the throne of God, it will be a people that are out of every kindred, nation, tribe, and tongue. So we're going to have you hear all kinds of languages. We're going, to, we're going to experience different styles of worship and music. And it's just going to be the most amazing, awesome love poured out to the Father. And it touched my heart to be able to experience that through Spanish this morning. I remember the first time I went to Mexico and everybody was saying, Gloria, adios. And I kept thinking they were saying, Glory, goodbye. <laughs> adios, you know, but adios, glory to God. And so that's the one thing I brought home from about four or five mission trips. And you heard me say, glory, adios, there to the end. So glory to God. Uh, today is our text is found in Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 through 30. And I'd like you to read with me, please. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. We have learned that there is a rest that is given and there is a rest that is found. Say that with me. There is a rest that is given and there is a rest that is found. The found rest is when we take his burden and his yoke upon us and we learn to walk with him and follow him and be able to learn the expression of his kingdom and how he walks and how he works. Uh, in the book of Ruth this morning, we have one verse, chapter 4, from this text out of this chapter. <clears throat> All the women of Bethlehem have noticed uh, an, an incredible rejuvenation in Naomi. And we're going to tell you the story this morning. Naomi means pleasant. She was gone 10 years, came home and said, I went out full and came home empty. Don't call me Naomi, call me Mara because I'm bitter because of all the things the Lord has done to me. But in the transformation, blessing takes place, and all of a sudden there's been a rejuvenation. It's like she's had a facelift, and she's been using some retinol cream or something, whatever it is. And, and all of a sudden, she, there's a beauty about her again. How many of you know when there's beauty and joy on the inside, it can shine through and affect the outside? So let's read together. Uh, then the women said to Naomi, Blessed be the Lord who has not left you this day without a Redeemer, and may His name be renowned in Israel. He shall be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age. For your daughter-in-law who loves you, who is more to you than seven sons, has given birth to him. So the story is Boaz and Ruth have gotten married and now they've had a baby and his name is Obed. And you're going to see what this new bundle of joy and this bouncing baby filled with life is going to do to Naomi and what it's going to do for us. Let's bow our hearts together for a word of prayer. Mighty God, gracious Heavenly Father, we are so thankful today that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. 
the, the godly for the ungodly, the just for the unjust. Thank you, Jesus, that you took our place, uh, receiving upon yourself everything that we deserved in full measure. Thank you, Heavenly Father, that now, because of Jesus, the Word says that we are accepted in the Beloved. Thank you that you look at us and you call us your beloved. God, that absolutely is blowing my mind. You are a good, good father. That's who you are, and we are loved by you. That's who we are. God, we ask you today that you would open our eyes to see and our ears to hear. Show us this morning, Lord, what it is that you want us to see from your word so that we can be mindful and not forget, that we can remember now who we are in Christ and not live out of an old memory of who we used to be before we came to you. God, we ask you in the name of Jesus that you teach and move and walk and work in among the lives and the hearts of these people. Walk these aisles this morning, Father, and, and convict us, Lord, of, of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. It's in Jesus' name that we pray and all of God's people said, Amen. Amen. You may be seated this morning in the presence of the Lord. Chapter 1 was about backsliding. Elimelech, whose name means my God is king, took his wife Naomi, who means pleasant one, and their two sons, Malon and Kilion, and left Bethlehem, Judea, the house of bread and praise, and went into Moab. Thinking it would be temporary, they settled there. Everybody say settled. settled. It ended up being 10 years. The sons took Moabitess wives, Orpah and Ruth. And how many of you know that they, they disobeyed God when they left, but God always has a way of actually redeeming. If you can keep your heart right in the middle of, get it turned toward God in the middle of your disobedience, He can actually still work the bad choices that we make together for His glory and for your good. How many of you believe that? And so God is going to cause Orpah and Ruth to come into the spiritual family. Actually, Gentile women are going to come into the family of Israel, and they're going to enter by marriage. Um, the, the tragedy that takes place is that the two sons and the father all die in Moab, and Naomi hears about a great revival that's being poured out in Bethlehem. She hears that the Lord has blessed them and has given them crops again, and so she decides that it's time to pick up, put the house on the market, make a sale, and go back home. It's time to reconnect with the roots, and God provides the way, and Orpah decides to go back to her family and to her gods, and Ruth says, where you go, I will go, where you lodge, I will lodge, where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried with you, and we've shown how this book literally is a redemptive panorama. It's a big picture view of the believer before you're a believer in sin, as a pagan, as a Gentile dog, as an unbeliever, and then God redeeming you and bringing you to a place where you repent and turn from your past and you choose to decide to walk with Jesus because His Holy Spirit draws you and you identify with the cross and you, you, you take on the, the, the recognition of the death, burial, and resurrection in baptism. And then you find yourself in a fellowship called Bethlehem Church. It's called the house of bread and praise. You, you, you've been brought into the family of God and you're being restored. You were introduced to this even by people who backslid, but God used them to bring you in, Ruth. And now you're in a fellowship where, 
where there's an interesting, life-giving kind of word that's being preached, and there's all kinds of exuberant, life-giving praise that's all focused on, not on performance or talent or skill, but it's all about the name of Boaz, as we're going to find out, the name of Jesus in this passage. It's all about giving glory to God. And so Ruth comes back in chapter 2. She is finding what it means to return, and she finds herself by chance, except we don't believe in coincidence, we believe in providence. The scripture says she happened to light into the portion of the field that belonged to Boaz. And she'd left the house that morning and said, I'm going to go and glean in the field of him today in whose eyes I will find favor. Everybody say grace. Grace, grace in the eyes of the Lord. And so Ruth finds that favor. You know the story. Rolls into chapter 3. Naomi comes up with a plan. She makes a proposal tells Ruth to get cleaned up, wash the dust of the field off of you, anoint yourself in praise and prayer and worship the presence of the Lord, and go down to the threshing floor and, and lay down quietly at Boaz's feet and uncover his feet, and he will tell you what to do. And we preached that last week, and this morning that rolls us into chapter 4. But let me give you a quick chapter-by-chapter chapter thing. Number one was backsliding. Number two was returning. So I want to tell you this morning, if you're here just as a guest and maybe you've been out of church for a number of years, you are not so far that God can't reach you and you haven't been gone too long that you can't come back. So chapter 2 was returning. Chapter 3 was once you get in and find a place, Ruth and Naomi both begin to experience the power of restoring. Backsliding in one, returning in two, restoring in three. And that today we're going to see the power of fruitfulness when we actually stay when we find a place of covenant and we don't back out, we don't get offended and leave, but we walk through and keep the commitments that we've intended to keep and the God's reward comes and, and, and the favor and the smile of Boaz comes on Ruth's life. Somebody say amen. So this morning as we look to chapter 4, I'm excited. I'm very, very excited today. And, and instead of one thing, Instead of one thing, I have an interpretive principle that I want to give to you. And so I, I would ask if they would put that up for me uh, right now. This interpretive principle is going to give us four statements. And I want you to, uh, we're, we're going to say them slowly so that it can just kind of marinate. Okay? So here we go. Let's do it together. The new covenant is in the old covenant concealed. Okay? So just stop right there. The new covenant is hidden back in the Old Testament. The New Testament, Old Testament, New Covenant, Old Covenant, those are all saying the same thing. We, we see it hidden in shadow and type and symbol. Okay, let's get the next line now. The Old Covenant is in the New Covenant revealed. Okay, so everything you saw that was concealed in the Old now is revealed in Jesus Christ in the New. Say amen. Okay, you got that? Now I'm going to give you the same thing. We're just going to say it a different way. Two different ways to rhyme this so that you can get this covenantal principle. Because when we understand this, we actually realize there's only been one covenant from the foundation of the world. The old was just the natural expression of it, and the new is the spiritual fulfillment of it. Okay? It, it was a true, actual deliverance out of Egypt with the shedding of lamb's blood in the old, a natural covenant. In the new, it's actually, literally, a deliverance from Pharaoh, who's a type of Satan, and slavery, which is our bondage to sin. And it still is the, the blood of a lamb slain, but the lamb's name is Jesus. Come on, somebody say amen. So we see all of these amazing stories... They're concealed in the old and they're revealed in the new. And so let's get it another way. Number three, the new covenant is in the old covenant contained. 
wrapped up. You have to have eyes of faith to see it. The old covenant is in the new covenant explained. So what's hidden in the old contained now is revealed and explained in the new. As a matter of fact, the Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 3 that when all of the children of Israel reads Moses, they have a veil over their face. It's concealed. They can't see it until they come to Christ. But when they come to Christ, the Bible says the veil is removed and so now they can look back to see all of those natural pictures that now have a spiritual fulfillment in Jesus Christ. I say amen if you understand what I'm trying to preach a little bit here this morning. Actually, this is more teach than preach. But I want you to grasp this concept because now as New Testament saints, we look back to the Old and the whole Old Testament becomes a whole brand new book because it's not just... Dates and dead people and wandering stories in the wilderness. But it's this amazing panoramic demonstration of God's revealing of the redemptive story in a natural story pattern. Because what he's going to do over in the New Testament, he's got to give us a picture to see how great it's going to be. Come on somebody, put your hands together. So as we roll into chapter 4 with that understanding, concealed in the old, revealed in the new contained in the old, explained in the new. I want you to see we are not dispensationalists. Dispensationalists divide everything and tell you that the old was all law and the new is all grace. And that won't fly because there's actually law and grace in both covenants and they both have a job description. We're not blending the two. Because the two are like oil and water. They don't mix. They both have a specific function. Law has its purpose. And then grace has its purpose. And what I want you to see is that we're going to see that revealed. As a matter of fact, from the beginning I've told you that Ruth was a book that was set up for the purpose of showing us grace in the Old Testament. One who was on the outside, one who was an alien, one who was a foreigner, apart and separated from the commonwealth of Israel and a stranger from the covenant of promise. I'm quoting uh, Ephesians chapter 2 if you didn't know. That might sound a little bit familiar to you, but Ruth was definitely all of that. She was a Gentile dog, but yet God, by His grace, she was far, far away, but by his, the blood of Boaz, Jesus, she's going to be brought very near and now God has torn down the wall of separation between Jew and Gentile and leveled the ground at the foot of the cross so that he is made of twain one new man. Israel, spiritual Israel now, which is made up of Jew and Gentile and bond and free and male and female, Jew and Greek. Somebody say amen. amen. All right, first principle. Let me roll through quickly. Number one, law and grace are in both covenants. Now look at this. Here we go. Stay with me because i got to roll fast this morning. Now, Boaz had gone up to the gate and sat down there. Everybody say up, up. and sat down. This is a picture of Jesus ascending up to the Father because the gate of the city is where all the governmental decisions are made. It's the throne principle. So Boaz goes up to the gate. It's time for him as the kinsman redeemer, as the Goel, to go and redeem Ruth and Naomi and the land that Elimelech has because Naomi's making an attempt to sell the land because she is broke and she's going to have to have something in order to be, able to be able to support herself. And so Boaz is deciding to buy the land 
And not only does he buy the land, but he's going to redeem Ruth and marry her. Okay, so he goes up to the gate and he sits down there. Look at this. And behold, the Redeemer of whom Boaz had spoken came by. So Boaz said, turn aside, friends, sit down here. And he turned aside and he sat down. So now we have, I want you to just give you, I'm going to give you a little preliminary glimpse. This other Redeemer is the law. Boaz is grace. Everybody say, Boaz is grace. The other Redeemer, the unnamed Redeemer that is here, we actually see as we read the scripture that there are two potential redeemers. But if you remember in chapter 3, Boaz said, you know what, as, as the Lord lives, I will redeem you. But I want you to remember, you have a redeemer that is a nearer kinsman than I am. And if he will redeem you, then, then so be it. But if not, as the Lord lives, surely I will redeem you and I will settle this matter today. Lie down until the morning, Ruth. Remember, we preached that last week and we said, everything is in the hands of Boaz. There's nothing else for you to do to work or earn your place into God's favor. All you have to do is just learn how to rest in what Jesus has already done. Somebody say amen. amen. There are two potential redeemers, one nearer in kin than the other. The law and grace sit down together in the gate. The Bible says the law came by Moses, but grace and truth through Jesus Christ. So the law and grace sit down together at the city gate. And this is what takes place. Verse 2, and he took ten men of the elders of the city and said, sit down here. So they sat down. And these are supposed to, let me go ahead and grab it. Then, the, then he said to the Redeemer, um, now I don't want to get ahead of myself. Let me just tell you right now. Everybody say the Decalogue. Decade is 10 years. Um, the Decalogue is the Ten Commandments. So the 10 men of the city are going to be witnesses. So the Decalogue, the Ten Commandments of the law of God, of which there are 613 commandments, but the 10 big ones are sitting here as a witness to what is about to take place. Ten men of the city, elders of the city, are going to act judiciously. They're going to pronounce judgment. They're going to put their stamp of approval on what is about to take place. Will the law step forward and redeem Ruth and Naomi and the land, or will it take Boaz to step in and redeem Ruth and Naomi? Then he said to the Redeemer, Naomi, who has come back from the country of Moab, is selling the parcel of land that belonged to our relative Elimelech. Now, when we see this, I want you to think with me, though we're telling an old covenant story, I want you to remember all the confrontations that Jesus had with all the religious folk. They would always be arguing the legality and the, the, the jot and the tittle and the legalistic application of every little fine point of the law. And Jesus would always say, you guys don't even have the clue. Search the scriptures. For in them you think they have eternal life, but you don't even know. They speak of me and I come to you and you won't receive me. Wow, what a slap in the face for everybody who has all the degrees, all, all the... PhD piled higher and deeper of all the stuff that they've all gotten educated in and then don't have the ability because even the Pharisees loved Jesus as long as he was a prophecy. But when he walked in their midst and he didn't come the way they expected him to come. Oh, come on, somebody help me a little bit this morning because that's the problem that we today have to face is that many times we pray prayers and God doesn't always answer it the way we expect Him to and we have an opportunity where we might get offended a little bit momentarily. It doesn't always come the way we would necessarily prefer or the way we expect Him to answer that prayer. 
But oh, if you'll just hang on and stay sweet in the middle of the circumstance, it's amazing what God can do when He starts to work out His wonders to perform. Think about the fact that grace is always wiser than law. They're out here tithing over mint and cumin and herbs. And Jesus said, yes, it's good that you tithe over these things, but don't forget the weightier matters of the law of mercy and justice and grace. You guys are swallowing a camel. You're straining at a gnat. Do you realize, saints, hear this, that it was never the folk who were broken in sin, who were addicted in bondage to all kinds of difficult circumstances, who had made all kinds of bad choices. It was never the broken, messed up, jacked up people that caused Jesus problems. It was the folk that looked right, that paid their bills on time, that that were representatives to some degree of, of a righteous way of lifestyle. Everybody that sat up right in church and looked good on Sunday morning, but they despised the one who'd come to save them. Because they didn't have the sense to realize that they needed salvation just like that low-down dog of a Syrophoenician woman or, 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 or any other Gentile dog that was out there or anybody else that was in sin or the woman caught in adultery or this or that example. It was never the people that were broken in sin that caused Jesus any trouble. It was the religious folk who thought for sure they had their act together. Look at your neighbor and say, Man, he's preaching this morning. So I thought I would tell you of it. He says, Naomi's selling the parcel of land that belonged to our relative Elimelech. Verse 4, So I thought I would tell you of it and say, Buy it in the presence of these sitting here, in the presence of the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, redeem it. Everybody say will. If you will redeem it, redeem it. But if you will not tell me that I may know, for there is no one besides you to redeem it, and I come after you. Now that's an important phrase right there. It lets us know who he's talking about because law comes before grace. It's revealed to us in the scripture. Even though he's been graced before the foundation of the world, we see it unfolded as law coming out before we see grace. Okay? He says, because I come after you, and he said, I will redeem it. So grace is saying to law, you're a nearer kinsman. Redeem Ruth and Naomi in this land. If you will, redeem it. But if you won't, then I will. Grace will step in. Man, I wish I had time to really cut loose and preach this. Second point. The law is willing but unable. Everybody say unable. Unable to redeem Ruth. Look at verse 5. Then Boaz said, the day you buy the field from the hand of Naomi, you also acquire Ruth the Moabitess the widow of the dead, in order to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance. This is the Leverite law. Husband dies, brother is to step in. There's not a brother, then you look for a nearer kinsman. Okay. Then the Redeemer said, I cannot redeem it for myself, lest I impair my own inheritance. This is the law talking. Now remember, the law has prejudice, because it thinks anything outside of Israel is a dog. So it's not going to redeem a Moabitess dog. So the law says, I cannot. Everybody say unable. I cannot redeem it for myself, lest I impair my own inheritance. Take my right of redemption yourself, for I cannot redeem it. The law was willing, but it was unable to redeem Ruth. I I love this. I read a quote by John Bunyan this week that says, 
Run, John, run, the law commands, but neither gives us feet nor hands. Better news from the gospel brings, it bids us fly and gives us wings. Now, the whole point of what I just said to you in that little poem is that the law makes a demand, but it can't deliver. It will point out where you are wrong, but cannot give you the ability to correct where you're wrong. Because it is weakened by the sinful nature of your flesh. Now, when I say flesh, I don't mean physical skin. I'm talking about the sin nature on the inside of you before coming to Christ, before transformation, before you have been given a new nature in the new birth of having been born again. Say amen if you understand what I just said. Grace did what the law could not do. Third point, I'm moving quickly. Grace did what the law could not do. Now, this was the custom in former times in Israel concerning redeeming and exchanging. To confirm a transaction, the one drew off his sandal and gave it to the other. Now, if I had time this morning, I'd stop and untie this shoe, and I'd have Jeremy up here, and I'd take a shoe off and hand it to him, which means I'm going to be walking around and referred to in Scripture as the shoeless one. What that is saying, let me just go ahead and read it. Let me get it. It says, the one drew off his sandal and gave it to the other, and this was the manner of attesting in Israel. Everybody say attesting. So this is a testimony. It is a legal transaction. The shoe comes off the foot of the nearest kinsman redeemer. That's basically saying that the law has no more dominion over you because Boaz, grace, has bought you. Come on, somebody. I want, to, I want you to hear this. So when the redeemer, redeemer said to Boaz, buy it for yourself, he drew off his sandal. He became the shoeless one. Then Boaz said to the elders and all the people, You are witnesses this day that I have bought from the hand of Naomi all that belonged to Elimelech and all that belonged to Kilion and to Malon. Also Ruth the Moabite, the widow of Malon, I have bought to be my wife to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance that the name of the dead may, may, be, may not be cut off from among his brothers and from the gate of his native place. You are witnesses this day. So ten men... Elders of the city, sitting in places of judgment, are representative of the Ten Commandments of the law of God. And the Ten Commandments speak and said, yes, it is done. We observe, we witness, we attest to this fact. The law takes off its shoe. Do you remember what God promised to Abraham? Everywhere where the soles of your foot would be, you will possess, you will have dominion over it. And so what I'm telling you right now is that dominion, the law cannot run roughshod over your life any longer, only accusing you and, and standing in its place of making a demand but not being able to deliver you any power because the gospel has stepped in. Run, John, run, the law commands but gives us neither feet nor hands. Better news from the gospel brings, it bids us fly and gives us wings. So it commands us to do something, but it also now empowers us and gives us the ability. Grace is different than law because grace can do what the law could not do. That's my third point. Say that with me. Grace can do what the law could not do. And better than that, grace did what the law could not do. Listen to Romans chapter 8, verses 1 through 4. If you would, go ahead and put that up for me. I want you to read this out loud with me, everybody. So now, everybody say now. now. We're talking about in Christ. Now, we're after B.C. B.C. is before Christ. Now I'm after. He's come into my life. Now, read it out loud. So now there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. And because you belong to Him, the power of the life-giving Spirit 
has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. Verse 3, the law of Moses was unable to save us because of the weakness of our sinful nature. So God did what the law could not do. I love it. My, my, my. Let's get verse 4. He sent His own Son in a body like the bodies we sinners have. And in that body, God declared an end to sin's control over us by giving His Son as a sacrifice for our sins. He did this so that, everybody say, so that. Come on, this is not just heady theology. This, is, this has a practical application. God showed up and He showed out and He sent the Lamb to the cross and He did this so that, here we go, so that the just requirement of the law would be fully satisfied for us who no longer follow our sinful nature but instead follow the Spirit. Look at your neighbor and say, follow the Spirit. That's the key right there. Learn to walk with the Spirit of God. Hallelujah. Now look, I've got a couple things. In I, are you getting anything out of this today? Work from two different covenantal perspectives. This is what I want you to see. Our man cave meeting the last couple of weeks has been in the book of James, 5.30 on Thursday mornings. People that really love Jesus, all the men that really love Jesus show up for that meeting. I'm just kidding you. Some of you can't understand. We were talking about faith and works and that James 2 passage on the relationship between the two. Faith without works is dead. We showed that faith is the fruit. I mean, I'm sorry, faith is the root. I'm, I'm looking down low like this, the bottom of a tree. Faith is the root of redemption. And works are the fruit that are hanging out on the limbs of the tree. Faith is the cause. Works are the effect, the result. Okay? We don't work to earn it. It's faith alone in Christ alone, by grace alone. Come on, somebody, say amen. amen. But then out of that... We work because He's created us unto good works in Christ Jesus before the foundation of the world, the Bible says. All right, so I want you to see work from two different covenantal perspectives. Look at this. Then all the people who were at the gate and the elders said, We are witnesses. May the Lord make the woman who is coming into your house. Everybody say, Ruth. The woman who is coming into Boaz's house. May the Lord make her like Rachel and Leah. Everybody say, Rachel and Leah who together built up the house of Israel, may you act worthily in Ephrata and be renowned in Bethlehem. Now, I, I want to stop and just take a second and remind you of the story. Jacob and Esau, two twin boys born to Isaac and Rebekah. Jacob heads out on his way to find uh, a, a wife. And he ends up in his uncle Laban's house and if you will remember the story, he works for seven years because he falls in love with Rachel and she is this beautiful representation of femininity. He's crazy about her and he loves her. And she's not the oldest. Leah is the firstborn female. And you'll remember the story. The, the, the father decided to trick Jacob after working hard for seven years in order to pay his bride price in order to buy Rachel. And so they have a, a ceremony, and they celebrate, and Rachel, uh, Jacob probably has a little bit too much to drink in the party, and I don't want that to offend anybody, but if you don't realize that they, they had party with wine all over the Old Testament, and, and he, he, he's having a good time, and he's, he's enjoying himself, and he wakes up the next morning in the clear light of day, and he wakes up in the bed next to Leah instead of Rachel. 
How many of you know oops doesn't quite cut it when you see that? And he goes to his father-in-law now and he says, what have you done? And the father-in-law basically says, you know what, this is not our custom. We have to give the first in marriage and her hand first. I will give you Rachel, but I want you to work seven more years for me. And of course, Jacob is upset, but he says, yeah, I'll gladly work seven more years for her. And he says, go ahead and let Leah have the week of celebration of her wedding. And he said, then we'll give you another wedding and we'll let you marry Rachel as well. And so I want you to see is that Leah and Rachel are a type of law and grace. Because a week later, he marries Rachel and he works seven years after he already has Rachel. I want you to stay with me now because this is a little bit tedious and I want you to see the, the, the paradigm, the principle, the comparison between law and grace. Because the scripture says that he loved Rachel so that those seven years just seemed as but a few days. And all the women in here just go, oh, is that such a sweet story? He loved Rachel so much, those seven years were but as a few days. And, and, and the whole point is, is that when we work to earn something, we always wake up disappointed. That's what legalism will do to you. You will bust it. You will white knuckle. You will knock the skin off the, the edge of your life just trying to make everything just exactly right. And you will think you've got this thing working and you wake up the next morning with a hangover realizing you're in the bed with the wrong woman. That you've been hanging out sleeping down at the wrong church. You're hearing the wrong kind of preaching. You've been hearing nothing but Leah preaching legalism. Now Leah built up Israel. Because it's a picture of the old natural covenant of the law. But the, the, the thing that is such a dramatic difference is there was such a love that Jacob had for Rachel, he was given her on the front end because Rachel is a picture and a type of grace. He didn't even work for her. He was given her as a gift and then his work just flowed out of that afterward. It was something that was so excited that his love just motivated that the seven years just felt like a few days. Now this is the difference in an old covenant. Let's just think about the week. Let's think about working six days in the old covenant. Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. You work hard enough, you get to rest on Saturday. Oh, thank God. TGIS, thank God it's Saturday. But what changes in the new covenant? All of a sudden Saturday is not the Sabbath anymore. We begin the new covenant in a day of rest. We come in here on Sunday and we worship out of this and we are invigorated with gifts of grace and we are charged and empowered and realizing that everything we go do this week, we're not trying to earn anything from God, but we do it because we're so crazy in love with Him. It just feels like nothing almost. And so we begin from a place of being charged and empowered and out of grace and the new creation weeks begins on the first day. From a place of rest, Jesus raises from the dead. He rises from the dead and He declares it's a new creation. It's a new beginning. It's a new covenant. Now ratified and fortified in His blood and in His broken body. And now the work that we do six days afterward comes from the strength of having the love that He's poured into us. Otherwise, we would never be able to fulfill anything regarding the law. But the law is the shoeless one. It can't run roughshod over your life anymore. Because you belong to grace. Come on, somebody, put your hands together and give the Lord praise. But that's not the end of the story. Last point. Marriage is to produce a man-child. Because God wants to bring Boaz and Ruth together and reproduce the image of Boaz in the earth. Just like God wants to bring Jesus and the church together, the bride to reproduce the image of Christ in the earth. Look at with me. 
Verse 13, so Boaz took Ruth and she became his wife and he went into her and the Lord gave her conception and she bore a son. How many of you know that anytime there's a seed that's given and fruitfulness comes, it's a gift from God? There are no illegitimate babies. There may be illegitimate parents, but there are no illegitimate babies. Sometimes they begin under not the right circumstances, but God still, still knows what he's doing when he opens the matrix of the womb. That's an Old Testament word. Key verses of the chapter, and I'm wrapping it up. Verse 14, Then the women said to Naomi, Blessed be the Lord who has not left you this day without a Redeemer, and may his name be renowned in Israel. We're here to make the name of Jesus famous. Boaz is the old covenant name in Ruth. Jesus is the eternal name. He shall be to you a restorer of life. Say that phrase, a restorer of life. Get this, and a nourisher of your old age. My, my, my. Now, for your daughter-in-law who loves you, who is more to you than seven sons, has given birth to him. Look at what she does in verse 16. Then Naomi took the child and laid him on her lap and became his nurse. Now, I don't want to be crass or crude in here this morning, but Naomi is already well into her years. And what this literally means is God took her dry, old, wrinkled-up body and something got reinvigorated, and the baby named Obed, which means servant worshiper. Isn't that a picture of Jesus right there? Or the seed of Jesus in the church, that we're to be his servants and to be worshipers of him? Come on, somebody. And she suckles up him up to her aged breast. And something takes place when Obed is born because it's a restorer of life. An old, bitter Mara who used to be pleasant, beautiful Naomi. And all of a sudden something changes. And he, she, he becomes to her the nourisher of her old age. Now, let me just tell you exactly what I'm saying. I'm telling you this is one place in the Bible where God didn't just stop the process of death but reversed it. He did it in Enoch. He did it in Elijah. He did it in Moses, who was 120 years old, and the Bible says his eyesight wasn't even abated and his strength was not gone from him. How I many you know when you're walking with God, you can walk in a blessing from the Lord that will touch you and restore you and bring healing? Now, I, I'm not making a promise to you the way sometimes the health and wealth gospel guys do. The fact of the matter is there is a truth to what they say, but they push it so far to the extreme that they start telling everybody that if you trust Jesus, your life won't be anything but bliss and happiness. And how many of you know that just doesn't pan out to reality? Oh, if you'll just trust the Lord, life will be nothing but roses and they won't even have any thorns. Why don't you wake up and smell the coffee and get some common sense about you guys? And the fact of the matter is, is they keep overturning a whole new crop of folks who gullibly come in and believe it and folks get offended and fall out because after a while you get tired of hearing that the problems that you're having is because actually you didn't have enough faith. How many hear what I'm saying? You get enough of that and you get sick of it and you realize that, you know, Jesus didn't always say, hey, if you'll just get into my boat, you won't ever have a storm. No, it means he's in the boat with you. He can control the storm or he can bring peace to your heart in the middle of the storm. And so you learn to see him as a sovereign God who works all things after the counsel of his own will. And a God who is able to stop and actually reverse. This is a little picture of what Christ will do when we see him as he returns. He's not only going to uh, slow down the process of death, but he's going to reverse the curse. Come on, everybody say, no more dying. I love it. No more crying, no more dying there. We are going to see the king. 
Better said, he's coming to see us. He's bringing it right down here with him. Somebody put your hands together and give the Lord praise this morning. The women of the neighborhood gave him a name saying, A son has been born to Naomi. They named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. Now, Obed becomes the, great, becomes the grandfather to David, which makes Ruth the great-grandfather to the ancestral line of Jesus. The beautiful thing about this is that Ruth starts in Moab, a Gentile. She comes to the house of bread and praise and becomes part of the family. And then her name and renown begins to spread out into all of Israel. And then chapter 4, Ruth enters into the royal bloodline of Jesus Christ. Now, if God can take a Gentile dog... Matter of fact, let me just lay another line on this. This is what is so beautiful. Because actually, Boaz is the great-grandson of Rahab the harlot. <laughs> that just blows my mind. See, it's just so hilarious that all the folks... It's so typical today in Southern Churchianity that folks will sit in church and look around and judge somebody who comes in. And the very place where they can hear the gospel, half the folks are looking at them like, why, you shouldn't even be here. And I'm surprised the roof hadn't fallen in on you. And guess what? Hungry people that are looking for the good news of the gospel won't hang around in a place like that very long. Why do I say things every once in a while trying to offend Pharisees? Because I've got to labor to protect the atmosphere of this place to make sure that it is a haven of grace so God's Spirit can move and sinners can be saved. And Ruths can come in from Moab and become part of the ancestral line. Come on, somebody. I love it. 18, 19, 20, 21, and 22 just gives you that lineage right there all the way through of the genealogy of David. We ended... The last sentence, the last verse of the book of Judges said, There was no king in Israel, and every man did what was right in his own eyes. Everybody say, no king. But by the time we finish four chapters in Ruth, the very last word of Ruth is David. Everybody say, the king's on his way. God already knows. God already knows what he's doing. Last verse of Scripture, last section I want you to see as I close this series this morning, and we pray today. And I pray that this has been a blessing to you, that you can just, and let me just say this, I just skimmed the surface. There is so many layers of the panorama of redemption in these four chapters that I have not had time to bring really to, to sufficiently speak to the depth and the layers that are in this. We would need about two-hour services for every chapter. No, I don't just mean two-hour services. I mean two hours of preaching. And, and your seat can't stand that. And so we, I've just given you the, the little top, skimmed off the top layer to show you the magnificence of the mind of God that thousands of years before the Messiah came, God gave us one among hundreds of pictures of that Messiah in a natural covenant, which is now spiritually fulfilled in one whose name is renowned, not only in all of Israel, but in the whole world. And the world is still being changed and being transformed in the middle of an election where I don't feel like there is a candidate, period, that I can get behind. When in the middle of an election when I don't see anybody on either side I just have to say God let your name be great in all the earth Lord pour out revival in the Holy, in the, by the Holy Spirit in the United States of America because help's not coming with either political party we need Jesus look at your neighbor and say we need Jesus I have one verse and I want you to see this this is Matthew 11 28 through 30 we've been reading it in the ESV every week. Come unto me all you who labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you for I am gentle and lowly of heart. 
talks about my burden is easy, my, my, my yoke is easy, my burden is light. He says, take them on you and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, my burden is light. This is the message. I love this. Read it out loud with me. Are you tired, worn out, burned out on religion? Come to me. Get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Stop right there. Jesus has not just invited you to tacitly, mentally assent to what he did for you 2,000 years ago and then just go on your way doing life as you've done it. He's, he's inviting you to come and follow him, to learn how to walk with him and to work with him and let the Spirit of God lead you because grace stepped in and did what the law could not do. Start right there and read with me. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Look at this next sentence. I love it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and you'll learn how to live freely and lightly. I don't know about you, but I, 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 need, I need some of that this morning. I, I need a little bit of restoration in that area this morning.